Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. Today's episode is brought to you by Sizap, the motorcycle tracker and rider's mate. Although it's not actually just for motorcycles, it's also for cars, boats, anything really with wheels and an engine or even anything with an engine. You can use it as a mate to track where that vehicle is. It's also got a new feature that they've just added to the app and that is an organizer section so for example for motorbikes you can add push notifications and sms notifications for technical inspections insurance dates general maintenance and chain maintenance save those all to your app and then it will ping up and remind you two weeks or however long you before however long before the event that you need to know about it so that is sizap and thank you very much to them for sponsoring this episode now then down to business a recent youtube video i did i noticed a car that i'd never seen before a datsun 120y not motorbike related at all this but it's really nice shaped car and i got a gigantic gigantic amount of feedback from it and i always find it really funny for example if i post uh, a ferrari a lamborghini something like this the amount of interest i get is okay but if i post a normal everyday car from a certain period back in time it is 100 times the amount of interest i i recently posted about a ferrari f50 i think it was got a few comments about it but post a normal humdrum everyday car like the 1970s datsun 120y people are freaking out and you know what's so good about these these everyday cars and these cars from whatever era you were from when you were a child a youngster growing up just passing your test all the craziness you got up to i just love what vehicles do they they take us back to that exact moment in time it's incredibly nostalgic you get these brilliant connections with vehicles whether it's a car or a motorbike and i thought i'd just share a few of those 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 memories that people have and a lot of these people because the Datsun 120Y which if you didn't know it's a 1970s absolute run-of-the-mill Japanese estate or saloon car and it is a few people have said it's one of the cars that eventually killed off the British cars British Leyland because back in the day 1960s etc etc the majority of cars in the uk the vast vast majority were british cars but british leyland then i think basically got lazy and the the quality of the the cars was borderline atrocious but by what i've heard japanese come along and they then show that wow we can make a car that actually starts in the morning and that was the end of british leyland probably and this probably from what i've heard is one of those cars so I love these. Just a few people. It's just amazing. It's amazing the type of memories that people have and how vivid those memories are and how mundane those memories are. But actually, that is what makes up life. All of these little memories. You could think, how can someone remember this or that? But these things, vehicles connect us to these memories in a way that almost nothing else does. Listen to a few of these. 
My wife and I drove our 1978 Datsun 100A Cherry from Colchester, England to the Orposia del Mar in Spain in 1985. We had to take the bonnet off and put the roof <laughs> and put it on the roof rack with the luggage to stop the engine overheating. 2,500 miles. Poor little thing. Great car. We loved it. Another wrote, I, I had as my first car a Datsun 100, which I think is probably the little brother of this, which will be the, the small hatchback. I think it was a 100A, if I remember correctly. I bought it off my dad in the early 80s. The heater was turned on via a tap which leaked hot water onto my leg. Great fun, though. And someone else, wow, those are proper little rust boxes or rot boxes. There can't be many of those left. My dad had an old red 120Y van for his bricklaying business, basically the estate version of the car. And a few years later, I had a Mark II Escort stolen and bought a white 120Y saloon at an auction for £215 to get me back on the road. A week later, the struts collapsed inward as they were rotten. We jacked them back into the place with the builder's acro prop, welded some patches, bolted on a couple of steel bars across the top struts, and drove it like that for another eight months and I will do uh, I'll do one more I'll do one more I'm old enough to remember them the Datsun 120Y my brother had a Saturday job jet blasting wax coating uh, jet blasting the wax coating off them that was applied to pre prevent them rusting as they were shipped back to the UK they gave your wife a bunch of flowers when you bought one new I love that I love that these memories, they are priceless. They are absolutely priceless. I thought I'd take a look at the UK. How many of these Datsun 120Ys are actually left? And it's a website I really like. Howmanyleft.co.uk And if I type in Datsun 120Y, I will say, okay, I won't go for the van version. I won't go for the automatic. I'll just go for the pure Datsun 120Y. There are, in the UK left, 43, 43 of those Datsuns in the entire UK still on the road. That's still on the road being driven. There are further 47, 47 sawn, which means they're registered as off the road. They're not being driven. They're locked up in garages around the UK. So that is 90 Datsun 120Ys left in the United Kingdom. And this coming from a car that is way, way more popular than I thought it would be. The amount of people that said they'd driven a Datsun 120Y or Datsun 100 or Cherry blew my mind. These must have been everywhere. So for there to only now be 90 left. Wow, and I had to do one more. This is a car, my first ever car. Um, and it is, I've gone completely blank. Oh, I was spelling it wrong. It's a Vauxhall Nova. Vauxhall Nova, these were everywhere. Everyone either had or drove a Vauxhall Nova. You couldn't give them away when I passed my test, uh, or even just before that, about 2003, and in the year 2000, you could barely give them away. And now, Vauxhall Nova, there are 80, apparently, apparently, according to this website, there are 80 Vauxhall Novas currently driving around in the UK, 80. And Sawn, that's declared off-road, locked up in people's garages and not being driven, 436. It just shows 
whether it's a car or motorbike, you get to this tipping point. They, these vehicles become completely worthless. They're a joke. No one wants them. I remember that with the Vauxhall Nova. And then you get something like this ULEZ scheme in the UK or in London where, you know, you're not allowed to drive your cars in cities and then you get a scrappage scheme and then the government's offering you £2,000 to scrap your car or £1,000 to scrap your motorbike. Everyone's doing it. I remember it happened a few years ago in the UK. I didn't think anything of it. But what happened is all of these borderline future classics just off to the scrapyard so you got that awkward point where all of these classic cars that that were probably six years away from being classics all gone and the numbers just dropped so violently it's eye-opening so you've got very few of these cars left and what happens then prices are going to start going through the roof they already already have for the Vauxhall Nova I remember so well 350 400 pounds I'm not even talking about a sports one now. You're going to need about 5K for a bog standard Vauxhall Nova. Forget about getting any sports one. Um, I got, I, I like this type, of, uh, this type of email. Someone emailed and said, I'm already a car owner. I have a bit of a, a dilemma about buying a bike for passion versus practicality. The passion purchase is without question a Bonneville T120 Black. The functional purchase would be a Honda CB500X or the upcoming Triumph Tiger Sport 660. Pretty divergent choice, um, etc., etc. What would you recommend? I love these types of emails or comments or messages because this is probably the type of question that people have more than any other. Do you go for common sense and practicality or do you go for a passionate purchase? Because if you're going common sense and practicality, it is completely impossible to argue with the Japanese stuff. Honda CB500X. I don't think there'll be a more bulletproof bike that will get you from A to B more competently than that bike and for uh, a reasonable price. That bike will do everything and will last forever. So what does it take to go out there and spend a significant chunk of extra money Bonneville's are very reliable bikes, but it's probably not going to be quite as reliable as the Honda. So you're spending more, you're probably getting a little bit less in terms of reliability and the maintenance costs will probably be more as well. But for me, if you can, I get it if you need a bike for every day for commuting and you just need it as a winter hack, for example. But for me, if you can go out there and spend that little bit extra biking's that passionate purchase you know i would always recommend if someone's looking at two different bikes and clearly like this email this person has their heart set on a bonneville t120 black i think if you're the type of person that has your dream bike in your mind and you want that bike for a passionate purchase like i could tell this email with coming to me was from i think you have to go and buy it because i've been there before i've bought a bike thinking no freddie go out there and get a sensible bike Get a sensible bike and then see how you feel first. And guess what happens after two weeks? You realize you didn't actually want the sensible bike. 
you're still looking on Auto Trader on eBay every single day at the bike you didn't buy but secretly deep down you wanted. So I would always say if you've got a dream bike in mind and if there's any possible way you can go out there and get it, go out and get that dream bike. Right, this is a little segment I wanted to do today and I've been meaning to do it for a while. Biking can be expensive to get into. Let's say, for example, in the UK, there are a few different tests, whether you're dependent on age and the size of the bike that you can ride. It all gets a bit complicated. It's a bit daunting. So you, you basically need around about £600 in the UK to be able to pass your full motorbike test. That is from never having ridden a bike before, doing a one-week direct access course. So you'll go from never having touched a motorbike before to, if you pass, having passed all of your tests and be able to ride any motorbike you want, as long as you're over the age of 24. If you're under that, it means you're limited to a 47 horsepower bike like an Interceptor. So you need an outlay of £600. It's not an insignificant amount of money. And then you get to the clothing. You can easily, easily spend 300 on on a jacket. You can easily spend 200 on jeans, 200 on boots. That is three, five, 700, 100 on gloves, 800, 300 on a helmet, 1,100. Easily 1,100 pounds. And then you get to the motorbike. Incredibly easy to spend £10,000 plus on a motorbike. So either that's a one-off £10,000 payment or, I can't help myself, I was looking at the Harley-Davidson Softail, the basic model this morning, finance, looking at about something like three years or something like that, three years finance, looking at about £400 a month to pay off the bike entirely no payment at the end 404 I think it's 440 actually 440 pounds a month without any deposit that's more than my mortgage cost and I would get that if I was in a slightly more comfortable position but what I'm looking at now is for a new rider who doesn't have all the money in the world like I was and to be honest I'm borderline a bit like that now so what can you do You want a bike that looks cool. You also, I would highly suggest, you want a bike that's reliable because if you buy a bike and it's unreliable as your first bike, it can genuinely put you off biking. I know a few people that that's happened to. So you need a cool, reliable bike that's easy and cheap to maintain and reliable. And you need a full set of biking gear. But you've already spent 600 pounds on taking the test. I am going to right now right now show you how you can go out there and have a full set of motorcycle gear that is jeans boots jacket and helmet and buy a motorbike all for under i'm just working out in my head now i think it's all for under 300 pounds all of that for under 300 pounds let me know if you think i'm cheating a bit but here we go so 300 pounds you're going to be on the road not just that you're going to be on the road 300 pounds with a brand new bike and i've chosen a brand new bike here because it's that reliability thing i've never owned a brand new bike in my life but this bike is such incredible value i honestly think you may as well just buy it brand new you get the two or three years warranty you'll have no issues with reliability at all it will be a brilliant viable mode of transport it will be comfortable you can even have it with a backrest 
And a backrest is the single most important thing for pillion comfort, uh, as Monica will tell you. Comfy seat is borderline, but Monica always says that the backrest and the comfy seat most important. It's got to be as flat a seat as possible, so you're not sitting too high. And a backrest is a game-changing bit of kit. And this bike can have a backrest. The bike in question costs £3,879 and you may well have guessed it for a brand new bike 350cc looks incredible highly customizable Royal Enfield Meteor now I know I know I've discussed this before but it's impossible to look past this bike £3,879 for a bike that looks incredible I cannot get my head around that and what's better I've looked into finance options for you as well. No initial deposit payment because I want this to be as cheap as possible. So I've spread the payments out evenly over three years with an APR interest rate of 5%. So to go out there and get a loan for the exact to the penny amount that you'll need for the Royal Enfield Meteor, that's including all of the taxes and the registration, it will be £116 a month. And at the end of the three years, you own the bike in its entirety. There won't be any balloon payment or any messing around like that. 116 pounds. So there goes 116 of my budget. Next up, I'm on to eBay and I've got an incredibly cool looking vintage leather biking jacket. I'd be proud to wear that. It looks amazing. Buy it now price, 55 pounds. A pair of eBay again, resurgence motorcycle jeans. They look off the scale cool. £45 buy it now price. That is £100. Next up, still eBay, motorcycle Spada boots, £39. That's £140. And then I found a Biltwell Gringo SECE helmet, £38. It is a current bid. I'm going to put that up to 50 because I think that's where it will go. It's got two days left. So that is 50 Add 40, that's 90. Add 45, that's 135. Add 55, that is 190. 190 pounds plus gloves. Take your pick for a tenner secondhand. 190, 200. 200 pounds plus the 116. Okay, 316 pounds. You can go out there with just 316 pounds and have everything you need for biking. I think that's amazing. I think, well, I love eBay and I've bought a lot of secondhand gear off eBay for biking. So I do practice what I preach with that 100%. And also what Royal Enfield have done there with getting, making biking accessible to the masses. I think it's, it's just so game changing. I know I always talk about it, but there you go. Any new riders or anyone just wanting to get back into riding or anyone just wanting to make riding good value, 316 pounds. That is all you need. Right, this, this is interesting for Brits and also people looking to maybe looking to get around some of the the on the the oncoming issues that we're having in big cities to reduce uh, you know well I say reduce pollution but to uh, you know to tax internal combustion vehicles so how can we get around all of these increasing taxes getting taxed on everything as car and motorcycle riders and drivers 
for example if you live in the UK, if you live in london you're going to have to pay i think something like 12 pounds congestion if you've got a bike made before 2010 and you're also going to have to pay for the uled scheme ultra low emission zone which i think is a further 12 pounds so you're going to have to pay something like 25 pounds a day if you're riding in london if you have a motorbike i think made about before 2008 um, and it will affect a lot of riders and of course, I think this will keep on changing and changing. So maybe that 2008 will change to 2012 and etc. etc. So someone messaged me. They bought a, a project bike. And uh, uh, let me read this out to you. Okay. I just thought I'd give you an update, Freddie. After a lot of backwards and forwards with TFL, that's Transport for London, um, they de I decided a different tactic. I managed to speak with the DVLA, the Driver Vehicle Licensing Agency. I changed the taxation class to historic, and now my bike is ULES exempt. So, uh, so it hasn't quite changed on the system yet, but it won't be long. And basically, this guy has built a beautiful, don't have it up with me now. I think it's a Honda, but beautiful kind of candy red, great looking project bike, looks amazing. And in the UK, if you have a vehicle 40 years or older, so 1981 or older, it's tax exempt, you don't pay a penny tax, and it's ULES exempt, so you can ride in London with no issue at all. So this guy's built his beautiful project bike, he's now registered it taxation class as historic so it sounds like you have to register it register it as historic but then what you get is an incredible get around i mean you don't do this for environmental purposes you do it as a, a you know a good get around i know a lot of people who have done this you don't need to pay any ULES charge you don't need to worry about any tax i mean the tax on my bonneville is 120 a year and if i was riding into london you know that that's a good saving that's a really good saving and listen to this this is uh just a, a bit of kind of official information from the uk maybe different in other countries i'm quoting here whilst a uh, while most pre-2008 motorbikes are liable uh, liable are liable for the charge that's the the congestion charge and the ULES charges in London so while most pre-2008 bikes are liable for the charge vehicles which qualify for the historic vehicle taxation class are exempt that means that bikes must be at least 40 years old but there are still plenty of 1970s bikes that make great everyday rides that's me quoting there so it got me thinking all right let's get this let's see what i've got okay pre 2000 and uh pre 1981 what is that you're moving into the realms of, of as as that article said some fairly usable motorbikes so i'm on to auto trader to have a look at this because these bikes could be the best of, of both worlds. So almost, almost a bit future-proof with this uh, historic taxation class. And straight in onto, onto Auto Trader, the bike section, I've done year, uh, any year up to 1980. So it could be, you know, from 1920s to 1980. I don't care. I haven't put any other criteria in. And a bike that's popped up, which would be the exact type of bike that I would be looking to get. I, I really think if you're looking 
pre-1980, 1981, you're looking at Japanese bikes because you do want that quality and probably, tell me if I'm wrong, the Japanese were the only ones making properly usable, everyday, reliable bikes back then. But what's popped up straight off? A 200cc Honda CD200 looks absolutely brilliant. In fact, it looks so good it can almost, if you uh, if you restore it, it could almost be a bike for sale right now. It looks like a modern retro almost. That's 999, 995 pounds. It's in, in fact, an area I used to live pretty close to, Sutton, Southwest London, Honda CD200. Surely it's going to be as reliable as anything. It's actually for sale in a garage. It's got the original paintwork. It's 15 horsepower. So in fact, actually, that could be quite a good learner bike as well for the, the, right, um, the right category. New tire, new uh, shocks. It's got the Kickstarter. Only four former keepers. It's got the logbook. They've got the keys. It's HPI certified, so there's no funny issues with it. Chassis matches the VIN number. Lightweight, twin cylinder, simple bike. Uh, typically early example of Japanese simple engineering that will last for years to come. And it's over 41 years old now. I'd be very tempted by that. You, you know, maybe give it a, a bit. It doesn't need it, but restore that. And you've got a lovely little bike for years to come. Some of these I almost can't believe the prices of. Look at this one, 19, 1968 Triumph Tiger Cub, 200cc, up in Coventry in the Midlands. I can't believe you can get a Triumph Tiger Cub for 2,195 pounds. Candy red or cherry red. That's a glorious looking little thing. 14,172 miles from new recently the this is almost impossible almost I'm ch checking this isn't a con it's not it's from a garage recently the bike's been restored to a great standard and looks stunning if I had some money I'd be out buying that I'd be out buying that it's from the Coventry Motorcycle Company how is that only 2,195 pounds if you're on the market for that get on to Auto Trader right now and type in Triumph Tiger Cub from 1968 someone with enough money and desire to have a bike like that so no brainer I mean they keep popping up Honda CB175 1976 £2,495 uh, 2000 yeah 2495 pounds it's done 9000 miles it looks so beautiful the old honda bikes they really are absolutely stunning and listen to this this is from a garage they said these cbs are flying up in value and a great investment resto project this bike is a german project with uh, german import with all the paperwork 45 year old bike this is quite eye opening if, if you're in the market or you're open-minded to getting one of these classics, I think these Hondas are impossible to beat the, the CB175, CB200s. These CBs are the definition of class. I tell you what, this company, this company clearly knows what they're doing because the exact same company as the one previously, there's another another bike very similar suzuki gt looks just like that honda two and a half k let me do one more before i wrap up i want to see if i can find something interesting here okay right i'm into the 3000s now i've got honda honda cubs restored in 2007 i'm going to go to page four i want one more we've got yamaha that's a nice one 
Oh, that's a nice one. Okay. I think I found the one I want to let you know about. I'll just check the rest of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Honda CB500, 1975. But I've done a few Hondas. Let me do a oh, Kawasaki. I think, actually, I'm going to have to do this one. Oh, it's close. Okay, very quickly. Yamaha XS500, 1978. Original US import. Looks off the scale. Cool. Three and a half thousand pounds. 15,000 miles on the clock. I would be so proud to ride that bike. It looks off the scale. Cool. But what I have to go for, final one. Kawasaki KE100. It's like a, what would you call it? A trails bike. But in the best possible way. It looks Steve McQueen kind of desert rally type. 3,500 pounds, 100 cc. No, I tell you what, that's 100 cc. For commuting, I would prefer this. Yamaha XS500, 1978. It looks completely immaculate. And it's been registered with HM Revenues and Customs in 2017. So it's all legit. And it's originally from Colorado Springs. There you go. I'll end it on that. Go and have a look. Pre-1981 motorbikes, especially if in the UK, tax exempt, congestion exempt. They are they're going to possibly start becoming more and more appealing actually and i'll end it there thank you so much to sysapp for sponsoring this week's episode i highly recommend them i use it on my motorbike they've also got it for cars i've got the car tracker on order as well and boats and everything else so check them out and thank you so much everyone for sticking with me for this week's episode have a brilliant week and i'll speak to you in the next one